Well, we started a series last week called Love, Sex, and Loneliness. Sounds like an album title, doesn't it? Uh, and uh, in, in my next, well, we don't believe in reincarnation. I was going to say in my next life, you know, that would be something. So last week, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> just, you never know. This is going to be one of those Sunday mornings you're like, just stay awake because he's going to say something that he's going to regret. Uh, we, we started this series last week, and last week I talked about a broken, our broken love story, and that is the fact that, you know, we live in this culture that just, we, we just um, put on a pedestal this idea of being in love, this idea of, of you know, especially in the American church, marriage is put on the, this, like, really high pedestal, and, and, and being in love, and, and what we realize from Scripture um, is that the love story often, are, there's huge chapters in our love stories of disappointment and huge seasons of our lives of letdown. And what do we do in those moments where, man, I thought I loved this person, I thought this person loved me, and now all of a sudden I'm wondering, now I'm having second thoughts and doubts about this whole thing. Like, like what do we do with this? And I love that scripture is so honest about, you know, I, I, I often find it funny in evangelical circles when they talk about biblical marriage. And what I want to say is you, you want to talk about New Testament marriage because Old Testament marriage is about as dysfunctional as you can find. Because, because scripture, scripture tells the story warts and all. It tells the story with all the hiccups and all the dysfunction and all the issues. And you'll be hard-pressed to find a, a good example in the Old Testament of what we call biblical marriage. In the Old Testament, the story that we looked at, you know, Jacob and Leah and Leah's sister Rachel, and the letdowns and the disappointments. And if you weren't here last week, the key was that Leah finally decided that she was going to praise the Lord. She finally decided that in her disappointment that she was going to fix her eyes on God. And here's the thing. As long as we're looking for somebody else to complete us, another human being to complete us, we will be disappointed and we will be let down. But only Christ can complete us. Only Christ can fill that hole that is inside each and every one of us. Today, we're going to be talking about identity. And identity is so crucial. At first, as I talk about this, I'm, I'm sure you're going to be sitting there going, what in the world does this have to do with love, sex, and loneliness? But I promise you that it has so much to do with it. Because every decision that we make, every action that we take has a sense of identity behind it. Most of the time this goes, you know, it is, not, it is not on a level that we are even aware of. It is subconscious, but, but identity shapes what we do. Uh, I would say that if you consistently put your job in front of your family, it's because you believe something about yourself, which is identity, right? If you can never say no to someone, you're always saying yes, even though you want to say no. You're that person who can never say no. I promise you it's because of how you see yourself which has to do with identity. If you can't help yourself from self-medicating, it's because you believe something about yourself. Identity matters. What we believe about ourselves matters. And the question is, who are you? You walked in today and our greeters asked you to put a name tag on. Some of you resisted. That's, that's all right. We love you. We, we love it. That's part of your identity. Part of your identity is I'm not putting a stinking name tag on. Ain't no way. Dave and Elma Obergon. You're not going to tell me to put a name tag on, right? Like, 
That's part of your identity. That's cool. That's who you are. But, but you know, we, we have this, and, and we, we affix more than just our name to ourselves. We, we, we decide who, and, and a lot of this happens way before we even understand that it's going on, the sense of identity. When I, a hundred years ago, when I was in high school, I ran cross country, and this is what you do when you don't have any eye-hand coordination. It's like, well, can you run? Yeah, I can run. Okay, we could do that. So, so in cross country, I didn't know, I, I don't know if you guys knew this, it's, it's actually a team sport, and there was about eight, eight to 12 other guys who ran, and um, there was two guys in particular that I, that I want to highlight from, from our cross country team. One, one guy, I'm going to call him David. David had a dad who was trying to live vicariously through his son. David's dad was that dad who, when, when, when we'd be running in a meet or an invitational, which would, what, what will you call a cross-country competition, like when we'd be running, like he would at times during the race be running alongside his son, snorting and screaming. He was that dad that, that David could never run fast enough for his dad. He would finish a race, and his dad was never smiling when he finished a race because he could have done better. Well, Dad, this was my personal best. Yeah, but you could have done better, son. The expectations were just sky high, and David had a miserable time of it. He would try his hardest. You could see it. You could see the effort that he would put in. Probably he would put in more effort than the rest of us, and yet it was never enough for his dad. There was, there was another guy in our cross-country team named Troy, and Troy's actually his name. Troy, Troy was one of these guys who, honestly, he wasn't even a fast runner, at least at the beginning of the season. He was out there just to stay in shape and to be conditioned for basketball, which is really a smart move. If you play basketball, cross-country is great for you. Do that in the fall, and then you can do basketball in the winter. And, 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 but, he was, but, but he would improve. But here's the thing. Troy had a dad who was just infectious. His, his dad just had this greatest smile on his face. He was encouraging, not just a Troy, but everyone on the team. And he would be at every meet, but he was there just cheering everybody on. And when you would cross the finish line, I mean, he wasn't even my dad, but he'd be there smiling, great job, Ken. I'd be like, I know it wasn't a great job, but thank you for your encouragement. We're just one of these guys who was just so encouraging. And, and, and you would see him, as Troy would finish the line, his dad would always be there to hug him. And man, you did great. Even though at the beginning of the season, Troy, honestly, wasn't that great of a runner. Troy was running because he was already loved, but David was running to somehow earn his dad's love and approval. If I can get a personal best, maybe my dad will finally be proud of me. Some of you were raised, you are loved and accepted if, fill in the blank, Some of you are raising your kids or even your grandkids. You are loved and accepted if. Got really quiet in the room. All of us live from some core truth. And if that core truth is not that you are loved, you will live the rest of your life living from a core truth of trying to prove that you are lovable. Everything you do, even serving in a ministry at a church, will be to somehow prove that you are worth it, to prove that you have love potential. Now, as followers of Jesus, this is a huge deal for us because we have to ask ourselves, what is my identity? And just because I pray a prayer and ask Jesus to come into my life doesn't mean that my sense of identity, that core mission of my life, begins to change. For many of us, we ask Jesus to come into our lives, but our identity stays exactly the same. 
But we have to ask the question as a follower of Jesus. I mean, Christian literally means, the word Christian literally means little anointed one. As I, as I follow Jesus, as I'm trying to do what he does and say what he says and go where he goes, like what, what should my sense of identity be? Well, maybe I should get my sense of identity from Jesus. What was Jesus's sense of identity? Have you ever thought about that as you read through the Gospels? Like, what was Jesus' sense of identity? We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 and uh, start in verse 16. And I think this is so instructive. This is so valuable to us. This is Jesus' baptism, and we actually talked a little bit about this last week, so I'm not going to go into all the details, but Jesus is being baptized. He's 30 years old. And it says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, and here's, here's the line, and if you've been around church, you've heard this a hundred times, but the voice from heaven says, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. He hears this voice from heaven. And who is this voice from heaven? It is his heavenly father, right? And what is the father saying? Essentially three things. This is my son. You're my boy. You're my son. There's something powerful about a parent saying that with affection in their voice. You're my son. You're my daughter. But he goes on. With you, I am, I am well pleased. What, the way I translate that in the Kendi Chant version is I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. You know, there are grown men who are walking around just hoping that their father would say of them, I'm so proud of you. Wives, one of the best things that you can say to your, to your husbands is, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. There's, so, there's something inherent in a man that we want to hear that. And the third thing, and I, and I skipped over this, is I love you. I so love you. Do, you. do you see what it was? This is my dearly loved son. Not just I love you, I dearly love you. The word here is the word beloved. In the King James Version, this is my beloved son. Beloved isn't just I love you. Beloved is I so love you. Beloved is I dearly love you. We're going to talk a little bit more about that word in a few minutes. And, and here's the key part of this. Jesus hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't taught any crowds. He hadn't performed any miracles. He hadn't healed anybody. Jesus is at the very beginning. For, for, for 30 years, he's been living in obscurity. He gets baptized, and God says these words over him. And, and I think if I, was, if I was putting the story together, I would have had this event happen after Jesus' death and resurrection. I would have had this event after he had proven himself, after he had fed 5,000 people and, and, and walked on water and, and, and resurrected from the grave. Then I would have had a voice from heaven boom over him, this is my son. He's my beloved. I'm proud of him. Look at what he's done. Right? But nobody else even knew who Jesus was and the father already loved him. The father had approved of him before he did anything. Listen, guys, what I'm saying right here, this is core to what we're going to be talking about. This is foundational. That God says to Jesus, I love you, you're my son, I'm proud of you, before Jesus did anything. Okay, a couple of you guys are getting this. 
This sense of identity would be so crucial for Jesus. And we see it. I mean, it's right here in the very next verse. The very next thing that we see, and just because it's a new chapter doesn't mean that anything has changed here. Chapter numbers are a modern invention. In the original Gospels, they didn't divide this and say, okay, and now chapter 4. The very next verse, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. And during that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. I want to pause here. What is the essential temptation that Jesus is experiencing in the wilderness? I know he was tempted three different times, but the essential temptation is that Jesus was being tempted by a false identity. Are you really the son of God? Is that really true of you? If that is who you really are, if God really loves you, then prove yourself. Prove it. Turn this stone into bread. Jump from this pinnacle. Prove that you're worth loving. Prove your worth. Now, Jesus, the son of God, if he was tempted by a false identity, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, But you and I, as followers of Jesus, can count on our enemy, the tempter, Satan the devil, tempting us with identity as well. He will tempt us with false identity. For most of us, this temptation happens in the areas of achievement and performance. That maybe if I can can hit this achievement, then I will really feel loved. Then I will really feel valuable. For, for some of us, it's, it's the issue of, of acceptance of others. And so we live our lives. You were never accepted in high school, and so you live your life. 50 years later, you're still trying to get people to accept you. We see this, don't we? The problem is we see this in others, but we don't see it in ourselves. For many of us, identity is shaped by, by stuff. And, and if I could just drive this vehicle, or if I could wear these clothes, or if I could live in this neighborhood, or I have this kind of house, or, or whatever it is, that, that this is what begins to define me. This is who I am. We'd never say that out loud, but it's true. Identity is so crucial The actions that we take, the decisions that we make are shaped by our identity. Now here's the thing. One of the strongest areas of false identity temptation in our culture today is happening in the area of gender and sexuality. Janelle Paris, who is a professor uh, at Messiah College, she says this. She says, what we've done in our culture is make sex and sexual desire everything. We have said that the truest thing about you is who do you want to have sex with? Now here's the thing, and this is hard, depending on what generation that you find yourself in, this this can be hard to understand, because, but here's what I want you to get, At, at its essence, we all struggle with identity. Everyone in this room, like I said, for many of us it's achievement or performance or acceptance or stuff, but for this generation, For the the generation that is in high school, the generation that is in college, the generation definitely that is in middle school, a lot of our kids and our grandkids and even some that are in this building this morning, the struggle with identity has become connected with sexual attraction. The temptation is I don't know who I am until I know who I'm attracted to. 
And we have made, in this culture, when I say we, I don't mean the church, I mean culture, society has made sexual attraction everything. Everything. What do you desire? Who do you desire? Because what you want or who you desire is now your identity. Everybody with me? You're like, oh yeah, as soon as you started talking about this, now I'm paying attention. I had no idea what that Jesus getting baptized stuff or wilderness stuff was all about, but I'm getting you now. We've made sexual attention, attraction, everything. Culture says you're either straight, gay, lesbian, bi, transgender, queer, or questioning. That's who you are, and they will actually say, this is your identity. And so we slap stickers on people. We say, this is who you are. This is the truest thing about you. Listen, the Bible speaks to these issues. Two years ago, we did a, a series at Journey called Touchy Subjects, where we talked, about, we talked about a lot of these issues. I took a whole sermon, where, and it was a long sermon, because we walked through every passage in the Bible concerning homosexuality, and we talked about kind of the, the myths around those passages and the realities about those passages, but basically, you can boil it down to, Scripture is very clear that same-sex attraction, being attracted to the same sex, is not a sin, but gay sex is a sin. The attraction, if attraction is a sin, we're all in a hot mess, right? Because we all have cravings and urgings that are out of alignment with God's original intent for us. It's acting upon those urges or cravings. And when it comes to, and so you can go to, we actually put all those sermons if you're interested, and maybe you don't like what I'm saying. Maybe, maybe you're like, whoa, I didn't know we were going down this road today, and, and I, you got your, well, here's my, here's my reasoning, here's my defense, here's what my college uh, professor told me, whatever. I would encourage you, take some time and go to that sermon series that we did. We have it all conveniently now put at explorejourney.org slash sex. Explorejourney.org slash sex. I figured you could remember that word. Um, and this all, it's all put together and you can easily find it. Regarding gender, immediately after God created human beings, gender is one of the very first things that God tells us about these new human beings. In fact, in the very first chapter of the Bible, in Genesis chapter one, let me just read a few verses. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. Now listen to this. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And Jesus, in, Matthew, in the Gospel of Matthew, he affirms this, and then he adds this line at the end of it, therefore what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. Like Jesus directly quotes what we read here. Part of what it means to be made in the image of God is that we are male or female. And yet, and here's the thing, and I'm, this isn't me on a soapbox pointing my finger, you know, trying to, trying to scream at someone in this room who's wrestling with these issues, but what we have is we have a generation that struggles with confusion when it comes to gender and identity. And this isn't just outside the church. Some of you in this room are struggling with this. But if you could zoom out, and here's what I want you to really hear this morning. If you could zoom out, you would see that the foundation of your identity is not whether you are gay, straight, or gender confused. As a follower of Jesus, we should be making our identity about something altogether different anyhow. 
Well, what should our identity be? I could sum it up in one word. It's the word beloved. Beloved. Now, right away, I see some of you looking at me, and you're like, okay, beloved. I mentioned it in passing a few minutes ago when we were reading this passage where the Heavenly Father speaks over Jesus as he's coming up out of the waters. This is my beloved son. What does beloved mean? I said it earlier. Beloved means it, it, it's dearly loved. It's much loved. I could put it this way, that you are much more dearly loved than you realize. And if we as followers of Jesus began walking in this world, in the darkness around us, understanding that we are God's beloved. Listen, this isn't a prideful thing. This isn't an arrogant thing. This isn't you bump up against a coworker tomorrow and you go, I'm God's beloved. Watch out. You know, this isn't something you take into school and, and you use as some kind of weapon, but there is a holy confidence that rises up within you and I when we understand that we really truly are the beloved of the creator of the universe. That he so loves you. And this is the identity that Jesus lived out of. That I am God's beloved. And Jesus wasn't snarky. And Jesus wasn't prideful. He's the most humble person who has ever walked in this earth. And yet he walked, you see it constantly in the gospels, this assurance that he is the beloved of God. In John chapter 13, I, I referred to this a couple of weeks ago. This is, this is the night that Jesus is going to be arrested, the night that, that, that he's going to be betrayed. One of his disciples is going to deny that he knows him. The rest of the disciples are going to scurry. There's going to be false charges leveraged against Jesus. He's going to be sentenced to die. Like All of this is about to go down. And just a few hours before this, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. I gave you the details of that a couple weeks ago. But right before Jesus washes his disciples' feet, the Gospel of John gives us something that's so interesting. It says this, I'm, I'm reading in John chapter 13, beginning with verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. Have you ever noticed that the action of going around and washing his disciples' feet was born out of identity? I want to read that. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up and washed his disciples' feet. He knew his identity. He knew who he was. He knew where he had come from. He knew where he was going. I would submit to you that if followers of Jesus, if we understood, really understood, really got it deep down inside of us that we are God's beloved, and we knew where we come from and where we are going, it would begin to change how we view this world. Jesus' identity allowed him to serve others and to ultimately go to the cross, which we just remembered through communion, and to become our substitute. It didn't matter what anybody else said about him. He was secure in his relationship with the Father. And I, I would tell you if, you, if, if, there's, if there's 20 young people who are secure in their relationship with the Father, they can change the world. Jesus' identity shaped everything. 
several hours later. So he washed his disciples' feet. They shared a supper together. They go out into a garden. He asked them to pray with him, but they fall asleep. His disciples, Jesus goes on and prays. And I just want to read one verse from his prayer. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me, his followers, to be with me where I am. Then they can see all the glory you gave me because you loved me even before the world began. Because you loved me. Jesus lived from this belovedness. He lived out of this core truth. I just want to say again, with, with, with affection, with love, with humility, with gentleness, the foundation of your identity is not based upon who you are attracted to, gay or straight. Your identity is not based on what you have achieved or how you perform or what you have. Your identity as a follower of Jesus should be, the foundation of your identity should be that you are the beloved of God. And what's beautiful about this prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17 that we just read is that everything is in its proper order. It's not you have loved me because I am glorious, even though that was true of Jesus. He is glorious. But you notice the order that he says it? He says, because you have given me glory, but he says, you have given me glory because you love me. That's huge. You've given me glory because you love me. What you believe about yourself matters. Identity in right order matters. Are you sinful? Yeah, you are. Hi, my name is Ken, and I'm sinful. Are you disordered? Absolutely, everyone in this room. The, the fall, the, when Adam and Eve sinned, everything got discombobulated. We're going to talk more about this in the next couple of weeks. Disorder happened. So here's a challenge. Bring your entire life, including your sexuality, and that's for all of us, heterosexual, homosexual, whatever your attractions are, whatever your cravings are, whatever your urgings are, pornography addictions, whatever. Bring all of that under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And everyone has to do this. Not just the same-sex attracted or gender-confused, straight people, heterosexuals, married people, everyone. Because my identity doesn't come from these things. It comes from being the beloved of God. It doesn't come from my past. Aren't you grateful for that? My identity is not based on what happened in the past. My identity is not based on decisions I made in the past or decisions that other people made for me in the past. That's not my identity. That's, listen, that's not who you are. That hurt that you experienced doesn't have to define you. That abuse that you went through doesn't have to define you. It doesn't have to be the label that you walk around wearing. It's not how much I make or how good I've been. My identity is based on Christ's work. There's a one of my favorite writers, uh, he's a theologian, a professor. He died, I think, in 1996. It's a Catholic, Catholic priest named Henry Nowen. How many, how many of you have heard of him? He, he's written incredible. The, the Wounded Healer is probably uh, one of his most known works. And just, a, just one of these people who's able to explain complex truths of the kingdom of God in a way that's just accessible. And you just read it, and you just, it, just, it just washes over you. 
Well, one of the things that probably a lot of people didn't know about Henry Nowen until really the early 2000s, uh, some of his personal journals were starting to be studied, and what they found out about Henry Nowen is that he actually struggled with the same-sex attraction. He, he remained celibate and was very clear and very firm on that. But here's a guy who his writings are just absolutely incredible, and he would say, hey, this is something I struggle with. I don't like it. I'm not going to allow it to define me. It's not going to be my identity. But he, he writes this, and this just blew me away, what he says. Everybody with me? He says, being the beloved expresses the core truth of our existence. He's, he's writing to Christians. He says, though the experience of being the beloved has never been completely absent from my life, I never claimed it as my core truth. That voice has always been there, but it seems that I was much more eager to listen to other louder voices saying, prove that you are worth something. Do something relevant, spectacular, or powerful, and then you will earn the love you so desire. He says, meanwhile, the soft, gentle voice that speaks in the silence and solitude of my heart remained unheard, or at least unconvincing. You and I need to hear over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that you are God's beloved. You are God's beloved. You say, Ken, you don't know. I don't have to know. Have you received the grace of Jesus? Have you humbled yourself? Have you come to the place where you just cried out to God and said, God, I am nothing, I have nothing. I am broken, I am helpless, I am powerless. I'm sin-stained and sin-covered. God, would you have mercy on me? Come in your power and your strength and do inside of me what I can't do for myself. Forgive me, I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. And he hears that and he responds to that And in that moment, Scripture teaches that you become a son, you become a daughter of the Most High God. He puts His Spirit inside of you, and He adopts you into His family. You are an heir of the Most High God. But do you know it? Is it your identity? I think for most of us, I'll be completely honest, it's not my identity most of the time. I want it to be. I want to live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, making decisions and making actions and thinking through the filter that I am God's beloved. Again, not in a cocky, belligerent, prideful way, but in a way that would cause me to go, you know what, I can serve others because I'm God's beloved. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going because I'm God's beloved. I can make courageous, faith-filled steps because I'm God's beloved. So this morning, you you walked into our church and we asked you to put a name tag on. I'm going to ask some of our students are back there with a new name tag that they want to give you this morning. The new name tag simply says, Beloved. And as Carrie sings this song, they're going to continue to pass these out, and it may take a few minutes, but as Carrie sings this song, 
At some point during the song, I want you just in a silent prayer to God, just say, God, thank you that I'm your beloved. And take a moment, just you and God, just take your own moment where you're sitting. And I, I know this sounds hokey, but when you take that sticker and you unpeel it and you stick it over your name, I'm praying that it would be a holy moment. That this isn't just something all oh, the pastor told us to do is I'm going to do what everybody else is doing, I've got to do it. But that there would be a holy, sacred moment of saying, God, this is the truest thing about me, that I am your beloved, that I'm loved by you. Listen, if you're not a follower of Jesus, while she's singing, it, it's not rocket science. It, you don't have to jump through hoops. You don't have to become a member of our church. But while Carrie's singing, would you just in your own prayer just say, God, I have sinned against you come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. I want the assurance that I'm your beloved, that I'm your son, that I'm your daughter. Lord, it was you who created the heavens Lord it was your hands that put the stars in their place and Lord it is your voice that commands the Lord. 
Lord, who am I compared to your glory? Oh, Lord. Lord, who am I compared to your majesty? I am your beloved, your creation, and you love me as I am. You have called me chosen for your kingdom. You're unashamed to call me your own. I am your beloved. Let's stand and sing. Your creation. Will you sing this with us? And you love me as I am. You have called me chosen. For your kingdom, unashamed to call me your own, I am your beloved. beloved. I hadn't planned to do this, but I just feel the stirring that maybe you're here and you need to fight through this because you're really wrestling with being God's beloved. Like there's almost like like this voice in your head saying, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. And Carrie's singing it and you got the sticker on and you're going, I don't feel it. <laughs> Listen, we don't, we don't walk through life based on our feelings. But sometimes it's nice to feel it, right? And I, I've been wrestling because I'm like, who would even respond to this? You know, because there's so much shame and so much what will people think. And if you're already in that place, you're probably going to be the least likely to want to come and have prayer. But if you're here and you just say, Ken, I, I don't feel like I'm God's beloved. I want you to know we want, we want to gather around and just pray for you and pray that God would put that inside of you. But, so if that's you, would you, would you just come right up here? I, that's going to take guts, but I want you to know this is a place we love you. We're for you. Saying, who are you asking to come up? Anybody who just wrestles with the fact, I don't feel like I'm God's beloved. I just don't feel like I, I just, I want to feel it. I want to feel the love. But I don't feel it right now. And it could be because of any reason. It doesn't just have to be because of sin. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's a past. It's pretty dysfunctional. Maybe it's things that have been said over you. Is there anybody? I'm just going to, maybe this is even for the second service. I don't know. Anybody else? I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come up. And in a moment, as everybody else is leaving, maybe you want prayer. Maybe you want prayer for somebody else. Prayer for a loved one who needs to come to faith in Christ. Or 
maybe prayer for a sickness in your life or a financial situation or an issue at work or whatever it would be. If, if you need prayer, George is over here. I'll be, I'll be over here available to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you didn't want to come up because all these people are staring and it would be weird and awkward, but you, you want to know that you're God's beloved. We'd love to pray for you about that. Here's the thing. May you walk in the assurance and the confidence and the identity that you belong to Jesus. If you don't have that assurance, may you humble yourself and cry out to him and confess your sin and receive the grace of Jesus that was made available to you when Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected from the grave. And then may you walk in that confidence. You are the beloved of God. That's your identity. Your identity is not what you've achieved. It's not your performance. It's not what you've accumulated. It's not other people accepting you. It's not your sexuality. It's not your gender. That's not your identity. Your identity is I am the beloved of God. God bless you. Have a great week. Next week, we're going to continue this series. Take it a step further.